0: Now, then let's open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, and verse number 15. Proverbs 13, and verse number 15. This morning, uh, I want to talk to you on the subject that I call How to Sin and Enjoy It, or How to Sin and Get By with It. There are a lot of people in the world who would like to indulge in their sin. And then continue to enjoy their sin. Now a man is a fool who does not admit that there is pleasure in sin. For indeed there is. But the same Bible that tells us there is pleasure in sin. It reveals that it is only for a season. The pleasures of sin are very short lived. The pleasures of sin may seem as honey in the mouth at the moment the sin is being indulged in, but then it becomes gall and bitterness and like gravel in the mouth as well as embitterment in the soul. So though there is pleasure in sin for a season, we must remember that it is only a seasonal or a momentary pleasure. But today I want to show you from the Word of God, if you are determined to continue your sin and you're determined and want to enjoy it, I'm going to tell you that there are at least five obstacles that if you can overcome, if you can do away with, if you can obliterate, you can enjoy your sin, you can sin and get by with it. But let's read first the text in Proverbs 13 and verse 15. And the wise man Solomon, under inspiration of God, declared, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. I think any man who has ever gone contrary to God and the will of God and the word of God would indeed have to acknowledge that his way as a transgressor, as a rebel, as a disobedient soul, has been found to be a very hard, a very strenuous, a very severe way. Now then there are five obstacles that if you would enjoy your sin, you're going to have to do away with. Number one, and I think you'd expect me to say this, if you would enjoy your sin... You're going to have to do away with the Creator. You're going to have to do away with God. You're going to have to obliterate God and destroy His very holy being. There are many men who indeed try to do so. And man in his sin has forever tried to sin and forget God. The commandment of the Word of God, however, says remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Ah, but men have disobeyed that commandment just as they have disobeyed every command that God is given in the pages of his holy word. If a man could somehow sin and then not recognize and know that God is, he could enjoy his sin right on and on. But I want to remind you this morning that God is a very stubborn fact. And though you deny that fact The fact of God Does not cease to exist Do you suppose God Accommodates infidelism In the mind and unbelief In the heart of those who say God is not He does not exist There is no God Do you suppose God accommodates And and sympathizes with the mind Of the atheist and the unbeliever And would completely Destroy himself So that you might enjoy the pleasure of your sin? Not at all, my friend. The Bible records in the book of Psalm 14 and verse 1, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. A man indeed is a fool who would suppose that though he sin and though he tries to forget God and deny God, that God ceases to exist. Now, I think if you would look at that psalm in the original language of the Hebrew, you would discover some very interesting things. You would find in the first place that the words there is are not found in that Hebrew verse. Rather, the verse simply says, the fool hath said, no God. Now, then, that is, first of all, a blatant denial of the fact of God. No God. But a man would have to be a fool who comes to that conclusion after he looks about him in the universe above on the world in which he lives and observes even the body that he calls his own and that he calls himself. A man would have to be a fool to conclude that all of this happened by some freakish accident, by an explosion of some star in outer space, by some freakish tangentation of atoms. Why, a man would have to be a fool to believe that all of this universe, its intricate mechanisms, the planets in their arms, the very body and all of its delicate systems has happened by some accident. Well, you might as well believe that Webster's unabridged Collegiate Dictionary came into existence as a result of an explosion in a printer's shop, as you would to believe that this world and all that we know really happened because of an accident. The illustration is old; I'll give it again, though. If someone were to say to me after the service, "Where'd you get that watch?" Oh, I said, "It's just an accident." How is that? Well, I said I was walking down the street the other day and picked up a few little pieces of metal. I found a strange-looking little piece of glass and some funny-looking gold hands, and I took them home and threw them in my wife's washing machine. I turned the washing machine on and waited for 20 minutes, came back, opened the lid, and lo and behold, I found that watch running, keeping perfect time and telling me what time of day it is. Well, you'd say, preacher, you're a fool or drunk one, I'll tell you that. The truth is this world and all of its intricate movements is a manifestation of the very existence of God himself. A man tries to forget God to make him comfortable in his sin, but he walks down the pathway of life and there are the beautiful flowers that give off their fragrance and any man would have... The movement of the planets, the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun, the changing of the seasons, the grass that is green, the trees that give shade in the summertime, and his mind has to conclude that behind all of this design, there is a designer. Behind all of creation, there is a creator. Man then, though he sins and tries to enjoy it, runs right around the corner and he stands face to face with God that he cannot do away with, that he cannot obliterate, that he cannot cause to die, for he is from everlasting to everlasting. God had no beginning, consequently he shall have no end. He is the eternal God. He is the everlasting God. You might as well try to find the beginning and the ending of the equator as you would to try to find the beginning and the end of God. Try to find the beginning and the end of the circular ring you wear on your finger and yet you cannot find it. A circle has no beginning. It has no end. And God is that eternal God who has been forever and will be forever. So if you would enjoy your sin, you're going to have to do more than just say God doesn't exist for him to be done away with. Again in that Hebrew verse of Psalm 14.1, the psalmist said, the fool has said in his heart, no God. You know what he's saying? He is saying, not your will, but mine. I am refusing what you have told me. I'm refusing what you have commanded me. A man indeed is a fool at heart who will reject and resist the very will of God for his life. You're fighting a losing battle. You're like a madman beating your head and your brains out against a brick wall in some confinement cell somewhere. When we try to say, no God, I resist you, I will go my way, I will live my life, that's a foolish man's cry. But yet again I think you would find in the Hebrew tongue that again the psalmist is saying what men shall say, what the fool shall say when one day ultimately every man shall stand before that God whom he has denied that God whom he's tried to erase that God whom he's tried to forget he will stand before him and when sentence is given as God declares depart from me I never knew you Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I think then the fool shall be heard to say, No, God, no anything but that. No, God, give me but one more chance. A man is a fool who has opportunity now. To give his heart and life to Jesus Christ and takes the gamble and the risk and leaves and stands before God to hear that sentence. No, he cries. The fool indeed tries to sin and get by with it. He tries to deny God exists. That God's will has any kind of claim on his life, or that ever he shall stand before God with sorrow of heart that he has not done what the Lord said. But ah, God is a stubborn fact, and you cannot cause him to cease to exist by your denial of him. Israel tried to forget him. They loved their sin and they erected their idols. They bowed before idols of Animals of gold, of silver, of wood, of stone. But God returned with stern judgment only to remind them with the rumbling of the thunder and the quivering of the earth as it shook beneath their feet, as the pestilence came, as famine came, as death came by the thousands. Yet God was saying, Israel, you try to forget me by falling before your idols but I still exist. If you would then enjoy your sin, you're going to have to do away with Almighty God. Secondly, if you would enjoy your sin and sin and get by with it, you're going to have to destroy that second obstacle and that, the commandments of God. What God has said. You know, men have tried to destroy this book for centuries untold. Hitlers have tried to burn it. Modernists have tried to get their little knife of pseudo-intellectualism and knife away the commands that God has given. Granddaddy Kinsolving and his, his crowd of the new, mor- new morality have tried to say those old commands of God are out of date. We need a new set of codes of conduct. And literally they're saying now there is no authority for conduct in life. You should just simply do what is the most loving thing under the circumstances. It's a silly little thing called situation ethics. Do whatever is the likely thing and the best thing to be done under the certain situation. There is no set rule. But that's not what Jesus taught. The Bible said, Thy word, O God, is forever settled in heaven. Men may veer from the truth of God. They may deny the truth. They may say it is not not applicable in a modern era. But listen, the word of God stands forever unchangeable. Why? I'll tell you why are you listening. It is truth. Truth is unchangeable. You don't change it. I don't care where. Nor even if you want to gain the approval of men, truth is still the same even though you distort it. I heard the other day, some fellows out talk, uh, talking out in the Midwest city, man got up and he said, now I want to ask a simple question. He said to a school teacher, tell me, what is 2 plus 2? The school teacher said 2 plus 2 is 4. Well, he said, thank you. He turned to an architect and said, Mr. Architect, I'd like to ask you a question. What is 2 plus 2? 2. The architect said, well, approximately two plus approximately two equals approximately four. He turned to a lawyer in the crowd and said, say, you're a lawyer. I'd like to ask you the question. And he said, what is two plus two? The lawyer got up very cautiously and went over and pulled the shades down at every window. Dimmed the lights and came around to the man and said, what would you like for it to be? That's what the world does when it looks at the Word of God. That's what many a modernistic liberal theologian and preacher says. What do you want God to say? How would you like for Him to say it? Would you like for Him to say, It's all right for you to live like the devil and get drunk as Cooter Brown. It's all right for you to curse and be immoral and live a wicked life. Oh, the world says, I like that. But wait. There's an unchangeable truth. And whether you dish it out like people want to hear it or not, truth is still there. One great writer said, truth crushed to the ground shall rise again. And time and again have I heard the testimony of men and even young men in this past week of how they thought they could turn aside from what God has commanded, live the life they please, but they came against a brick wall. They drank their booze, they popped their pills, they injected drugs into their veins. They lived lives of immorality and sensuality. And yet there's the stern, unchangeable command of God. You'll have to reckon with that. And if you would sin and enjoy it, you're going to have to do with His command out. Why did God give us commands? Did He do it because He didn't love us? Not at all. But God gave them to us that we who have been created by his very hand and knows where life can be the fullest and where it can have full purpose and meaning, he has given us a boundary in which to walk and live. Child psychologists have long since told us this truth, that a child feels far more secure if he plays in a yard that has a fence around it. If mother and dad have said to the child, this is as far as you can go. You play anywhere in this yard you would like, but don't go outside. Oh, they may kick about it, but inwardly, it is revealed by test after test, there is a sense of security. And though man may rebel at the commands of God, the only way there can be a security and sense of tranquility in the life is to know that you're within the confines of God's boundary. Well, you say, I'm the free-spirited kind. Freedom that has no boundary is no freedom at all. It's slavery. If you don't believe that, drink all the liquor you want and wind up an alcoholic and see whose slave you are then. If you want to have that kind of free spirited uh, kind of life liberated, go ahead and start gambling. Gamble your paychecks away until the fiendish sin wraps its tentacles around you and you can't. Freedom that has no boundaries, no freedom at all. And God gave us the confines of his word that we might have the fullest liberty to love and live and have peace and joy and happiness. God put it for us because he loved it. Listen, the Lord God has never said no to anything in your life or in mine that would do us good. He's never said no to anything that would bring eternal benefit. But always the thou shalt not are those things that enslave the soul and damn the soul. Look at this for a moment. Here's a fish swimming out in the ocean. He swims by a beach one day and he sees a bunch of funny looking creatures. And if you've ever walked by one, you know what I mean, the fish sees. Some big old pot-bellied fell out there. Pair of old Bermuda shorts on. Harry legs. Looks like a couple of toothpicks stuck up in a t- wash tub or wash pot. You look at him, you think his blue shorts has faded and start running down his legs, and you discover it's just varicose veins. You look at that fellow like Richard's all there doodling in the sand. Boy, everybody's having time throwing balls here, running up and down, splashing the water. And one fish says to the other, "Hey, I believe the Creator's cheated us. I wonder why we have to stay in this little ocean. Why can't we get out there and get us a, bo- a doo boonduggy? I starts do a doo boond- <laughs> What is it anyhow? dune buggy. Why can't we get us one of those? Well, you can get out if you want to. The other fish said, "Well, I think I shall." I'm going to live it up. Look at them Boy, they're drinking their funny-looking drinks. Makes them act crazy. That looks like real life. I'm getting out of here. I don't care if the Creator made me and designed me for the water. I'm going to get out on dry land. Now, oh, wait just a minute. Can he do that? He sure can. He can flip his little tail, and out on the sandy beach he'll go. Flipping and flopping. Reminds some of these characters you see. Jumping around. Boy, you think he's really having a ball, isn't he? I mean, he's living it up. But wait. That fish is dead and doesn't know it. And like the Bible said, she that liveth in pleasure, her own pleasure, goes her own way, ignores God's word, is dead while she liveth. When I was a boy, Mama used to have every preacher in the country come home with us. He could be a one-gallus, two-by-four, half-time, full-time, no-time preacher, and Mama'd have him in. Back then, we didn't have a we didn't have a deep freeze where you'd go get some of Sarah Lee's or Holly Farms chicken. Rather, we had to go out and run them down in the barn lot, get them cornered, get yourself all scratched up running through the fence. Get that old gal, stretch that neck out and get an old double bid axe and come down. About the time you get down, ready, just chop it off. She does like a lot of badness. I preach you, just jerk it in. <laughs> boy, do you pull it out there again say, I'll get you this time. And down you're going. Off comes the head. And I'll pitch many an old hen's carcass out across the chopping block. And boy, she'd give it that. Just jump up and down. I'd stand back and look at that. <laughs> watch her, watch her. She's having a time. But no, she's not. She's dead and doesn't know it. Many a young person in the schools of our day hears the crowd talking down in the locker room. Boy, did I ever have a blowout Saturday night. Man, did we ever have some more party. And you hear the hollow laughter, all the excitement. The devil said, "Uh Uh-huh. Old preacher Bill, and that Bible, God, all them folks up at the church, all they try to do is just keep you from having a good time. But you don't see the other side of that, do you? You don't see a youngster walking behind closed, locked doors of a mental institute that doesn't have any more brain than a cabbage head does. You don't see a fellow screaming out, crying for somebody to get those strange and ugly creatures away from him. You don't sit on the other side of a desk from a young woman who has sold the precious virtue of life and see her shed hot tears of remorse and sorrow and with a heart that's broken and that many times leads them to blow their brains out later. See, the devil didn't show you that side of it. And the other fish didn't tell his partner fish that though he gets out on the sand and he jumps up and down and begins to live like human beings, he's dead. And the devil doesn't tell you that either. But wait, the Bible said, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. And man can rebel against the order of God and the command of God. And you can sin and enjoy it for a while. But your pleasure is shrouded with death and breathes the cold breath of a tomb on your soul. Do away with God if you're going to sin and enjoy it. Destroy the commands of God if you're going to sin and enjoy it. For those two things, if nothing else, are obstacles to your sinful pleasure and your continued indulgence and enjoyment in the things of this world. Not only that, but you're going to have to destroy conscience. Try, if you will, dethrone him. Drive conscience in the back room of your life. Lock the door and throw the key away. Somehow ignore every little whisper and every cry of conscience. And many a man has lived that kind of life and so muffled the voice of his conscience. He thought, I've whipped him. I can do whatever I want to and I'm not even bothered. But go to that man's deathbed one day and see the furrowed brow and the short breathing and ask him what's wrong and he tells you I'm dying dying wouldn't be so bad if I didn't have to remember every wicked thing I've ever done in my life man said to me the other day preacher I came that close to death today and I said I'm sorry to hear that he said an accident on the job and just that close I said, what is it like, Jim? He said, preacher, in a fleeting flick of seconds, I saw like a picture before my eyes every sin and dirty thing I've ever done. And he said, I can't face God with that in my life. I want to be saved. I want to tell you something, friend." You can drive old conscience in the back room and dig a hole and put him in the cellar. But one of these days, that long, bony finger of accusation will come and remind you of every sinful thing in your life. Conscience, you're going to have to kill him. You're going to have to destroy him if you would sin and forever get by with it. I read the story many, many years ago, but it's fresh in my mind this morning. A man in an eastern town committed a murder. He left. The law had no clue to who had murdered this particular man. And so the murderer left and moved out to the state of Texas. He moved in, made his home in a small little town in, a Tex- in the state. And there for 20 years he lived in prosperity and blessing, materially. He had anything that perhaps natural man would desire. He gained a reputation in the community. He became a civic leader. Everybody admired him. They admired his family. And one day, after 20 years, the man walked into the sheriff's office, pale and trembling. And he said, sir, why, yes, the sheriff said and called his name. How are you today? Not too well, he said. What's your trouble? I want to make a confession to a crime I committed some 20 years ago. The sheriff said, what kind of crime? And the man said, murder. I killed a man in cold blood back in a such and such a town in the eastern part of this, of this nation. I moved here and got away from it. There's been no evidence, evidently, that they ever knew who killed him. And the sheriff said, my God, man. Why have you come in after 20 years of a reputable life? Everybody respects you. Here you've got this community at your feet. Why have you come and confessed to this crime at this date? And the man said, sir. Sir. I couldn't live with it any longer. I'd walk down the street and a friend would walk behind me and just simply grab my arm to say hello. And fear flushed through my soul and my body like a million daggers. And he said, I thought it was the law who came to arrest me for my crime. I lie down at night and try to sleep. And the face of that man I murdered passes my scene time and again. And when I do drop off to sleep, very seldom though I do, but when I do, I'm awakened in a terrible sweat and a fright for a limb's been blown by the wind and it slaps against the windowpane. And I think they've caught up with me. Mister, if you sin and enjoy it, you're going to have to destroy conscience. But God put a conscience in every man. Yes, it can be muffled. But somehow the very conscience God gave to every man will rise again. I'm talking to somebody now. And it's hard for you to sleep at night. You've lost some of your appetite. You've lost the zest in living. Conscience is still within to point its accusing finger. But say, I want to close with this. and I'm not going to give you all five. I think i will to give you just the four and I'll let it go at that. Finally, if you would sin and enjoy it, you're going to have to do away with the consequence of your sin. For every sin you commit, there's a consequence. I don't care how little it is, there's a result to it. It's the law that is inexorable. It is unchangeable. God established it and said, Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Try however you may. To change that law and it's as unchangeable as God himself, as God's command, it is unchangeable. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. And let me say in passing on a positive side, oftentimes we quote that verse in Galatians 6-7 and we only apply it to the terrible, the sinful things in life that if you sow, you're going to reap. But let me show you another side. If you sow harshness, you're going to reap harshness. If you sow love, you're going to reap love. If you sow kindness, you're going to reap kindness. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And yet in the light of our subject this morning, you're saying that you commit behind closed doors and no one knows, you think. But the God who set that law in motion knows. Poor foolish Achan, who in the book of Joshua Though he heard the command, don't you take anything in the city of Jericho, it is holy to, to the Lord. And Achan, while all Israel slept, crept out of his tent. He looked across the way to see a sentry and saw none. He looks this direction, none are there. He looks this way, none there, and cranes his neck to look back over his tent. And no one stirs. In the silence of the night, he creeps out across the camp of Israel over the crumbled debris of the walls of Jericho into Jericho itself, takes a garment of Babylon, gold and silver he takes to himself and comes slithering back to his tent and digs a little hole and puts it under and covers it over. Oh, how proud he must have felt in himself. What a sensational pleasure there came through his very body. Nobody knows. I am successful. I've gotten by with it. But Aiken, yes, you forgot to look in one direction. Which way's that? You forgot to look up, Achan. You forgot that God was looking down on that scene. And some of you have forgotten that too. You thought, nobody knows my life. Nobody knows my heart. Look up, friend. God sees, and the God who sees and knows has said that whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Achan, the consequence, what brought death to himself, to his family, and all of his substance... And no man gains at the end by a sin he only loses. Achan lost it all and you're going to lose it all. The consequence of sin. It'll catch up with you. The other day my phone rang. A lady's trembling, weeping voice said, Preacher, can you please come to my home? My husband is trying to kill himself. And I said, yes, I'll come. When I got in the yard of the home, I could hear a man's voice inside screaming and cursing. I walked in the home and she said, I said, where is he? She said, he's locked himself in the bathroom. Be careful. She said, preach, he has a 38 revolver in his hand. He's going to blow his brains out. I walked the door, knocked on the door and called the fellow's name. And I said, this Brother Walt. The man, silent for a moment, then burst out saying, Walter Burrell, you're a fool. You're a fool, he said over and over, he declared it. I didn't say it then, I could have. And the thought flashed through my mind, fool I am? I'm not the fellow trying to blow my brains out. I'm not the man who's so despairing of life that he can't face anyone. I'm not the man who locks himself in the bathroom cursing God and cursing his own life and wanting to be rid of it all. Oh, listen. But I said to him a few words and told him I cared for him and wanted to talk with him. I'm going to kill myself, he said. I said, all right, you can do that, but don't do it till I talk with him. He opened the door and I went in and took the revolver out of his hand, laid it up on the sink in the bathroom. And he just sat down in the middle of the floor and I sat down with him. After some 30 or 40 minutes of conversation with that fella here's what he told him. I've been unfaithful to my wife. And I can't face her or face you or God or anybody anymore. If you want to sin and get by with it and enjoy it, you're going to have to do away with the consequence of sin. But you nor anybody else can ever do that. There's a payday coming, sir. Sir. And the sin that you commit the most is the sin that's going to damn your soul. And that sin is the rejection of Jesus Christ in your life. Sometimes we feel like it's a little thing that I know I need Christ. Now I walk out of the church and I don't trust Christ. But the most tragic sin you'll ever commit is that sin. And you're likely to commit it this morning if you're not careful. The devil will do all he can to keep you from saying yes to Christ. Your old nature will do all. The nature will cry out, oh, for one more night in sin, one more night in Egypt, one more night with the frogs. But Jesus Christ is your only hope. And the psalmist said this, listen, and I close. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures Forevermore. Sin's pleasures only season. But the pleasure one has in saying yes in his heart to God and receiving Jesus as his Savior, that's eternal pleasure. That never ends, never has a hangover, never leaves you with a guilt, but gives a peace in the heart that you're crying for today. I want you to bow your heads with me, please, for a time of prayer. I feel in my heart that God speaks to many in this building. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ. I want you right now to realize that no man has ever rejected Christ and really gotten away with it. There's an hour when all men faced God. And there's a day coming when you'll stand before him with trembling lip and trembling knee and fainting heart to have to say, I'm sorry, I, I knew I needed him, but I just said, not now. I'll put it off and put it off. And some of you put it off so long. You've tried sin's pleasures, and there comes the guilt and the tragedy of soul and heart. The conflict of mind. The condemnation of the holy law of God. And I believe you want to trust Jesus right here this morning. I believe there's some Christian I've talked to. You thought you could sin and enjoy your sin. But say these stubborn facts are still there. And I bid you this morning to confess your sin to God as a Christian. He said I'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And to you who've never trusted Christ, listen to me carefully, it's so important that you do. If you were to have Christ as your Savior, it takes but an act of the will, of opening the door, and in faith receiving Jesus Christ. You say, how do you do that? The Bible said it like this, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're willing to acknowledge to God, I'm a sinner, Lord, I'm lost, I need your forgiveness, I want you to save me. And we'll ask him, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. He promised that he would. And I believe you want to do that right now. I want you to stand with me, please, with every head bowed while we pray together. While every eye is closed, I want us just to join together every Christian in this house on praying ground. I want you to pray with me. And then we're going to sing hymn number 62, Just as I am without a plea, but that his blood was shed for me. Father, you have seen this service. You are the witness to everything said and done. Oh, blessed Lord, we pray that men and women shall see the futility of sin and we'll see the joy that can come through knowing Christ and through walking with Him. Father, we pray for these now that need to respond and coming down this aisle and and an open act of their own will saying by their coming, I do receive Christ, I do trust Him, I want Him as my Savior and others, Lord, who are saved that have sinned in their life, may they come confessing that. And we'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' dear name.